A simple and fun AI art program is taking the internet by storm. But is it being controlled by forces from beyond? Now we wrap up season 18 by taking a look at a story of a young man who gets in a terrible car accident. While he is immobilized in a local ICU, he's warned that any movement could end his life. Little does he know he's about to move at the speed of light. Today on Dead Rabbit Ring. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Ring. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. It is done. The end of season 18. So that means I'm going to take a two-week break. But don't fret, I'll be back with new episodes in two weeks. I will also continue to put out my daily one-minute true crime segments on TikTok and YouTube and Instagram, so there'll still be more content out there. However, I, I, I'm always afraid I'm going to burn out on the podcast, so i got to take these two-week breaks. I just sit and watch movies and play video games, and it is fantastic. And let's go ahead and introduce our pilot for today. Now, normally we highlight the people who donate money to Patreon, donate money to Livestream, but I always say it's okay if you just get the word out about the show, and I want to highlight one of those people today. Walking into Dead Rabbit Command, give it up for Angela Yoshi. Woo, yeah, come on in, Angela. Come on in. Welcome to Dead Rabbit Command. You're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. Angela Yoshi is helping getting the word out about the show by leaving reviews. That is excellent. I really, really mean it. Just getting the word out about the show helps the show grow. And before we get started, let's take a look at our submission for Fan Art Friday. Isn't this fantastic? This is from longtime listener, longtime supporter of the show, Khaki Cube. Khaki Cube posted this. You see this awesome mosaic. We have a variation on the Dead Rabbit Radio logo, UFO flying around with a Haunchyville or Bust banner, Mormon Bigfoot. We see Sam, the sand down clown there as well. Fantastic art. Thank you so much for sending it over. And what an awesome piece of art to have for the end of season 18. Angela Yoshi, let's go ahead and touch the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We are going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're driving all the way out to the University of Texas at Austin. We're going to University of Texas at Austin, not for like a football thing, like the Longhorns or whoever plays there, the Saddle Riders or something like that. We're not going to see the games. So if you guys brought your peanuts and your Cracker Jacks, we don't get to watch any games. We're actually going to go hang out where the nerds hang out. So we're going to walk past all the hot cheerleaders. We're going to walk past all the buff football players. We're going to walk. And they're, they're laughing at us as we're walking through. They're like, nerds, nerds, nerds. We're like, oh, we're just hanging out with nerds. That doesn't make us nerds. That's exactly what makes you a nerd is you hang out with them. Oh, he's right. We're going to go and check out the office of Giannis Doris. Giannis Doris, maybe? He is a computer science PhD student at the University of Texas at Austin, and he's currently working with Alex Dimicus. He's a professor. And the reason why we're here is they are researchers in the machine learning and information theory department of University of Texas at Austin. And what they figured out, recently Giannis posted this Twitter feed about this program known as Dolly 2. Now, I have to admit, Dolly 
has taken over my Discord, my Patreon Discord. <laughs> Basically, no one talks about stuff anymore. They just all post in an area where people are posting their Dolly artwork. It's awesome. If you guys don't know what it is, there is a version of this, a consumer-level version of this called Dolly Mini. I'll put the put it in the show notes. But you'll type in stuff like a Velociraptor attacking Sailor Moon, and it'll create nine AI-generated images of that. It's super bizarre. I mean, there's so many great examples out there. People have been having a lot of fun with this. The artwork is really, really cool. And you can even say, like, Eminem fighting a Eminem in the style of a medieval cross-stitching. And it'll create that. It's fascinating, and it's a lot of fun. But there's a more advanced version of this called Dolly 2. And that's what they're using here at UTA. Is that an appropriate abbreviation? And... You put in that prompt. Now, I remember once I tried putting in Anya Taylor-Joy fights Britney Spears. And it didn't do that. It just created, like, a a picture of a Anya Taylor-Joy-esque figure and then a Britney Spears-esque figure. It didn't actually throw have them throwing punches. And I realized, oh, this is a safeguard. So you couldn't put, like, Kate Beckinsale having sex with me. And would create all these pornographic images. When you use real people's names, there's safeguards built into it. Because otherwise, people would have been using it for porn immediately. And I did say fighting. I didn't say another word. I actually wanted to see them like boxing in a ring for my love. But what Giannis has discovered... I think I've pronounced his name three different ways so far. What Giannis and his team have discovered... That there is a hidden language within Dolly 2. Because what you can do is you can, this is so advanced, this is so advanced. If you type, these are actual examples they used. If you type in, quote, two farmers talking about vegetables with subtitles, unquote, that's what they fed into the AI. It shows a photo, it shows two very photorealistic farmers and one of them is holding cabbage. But the sub, there's like a thought bubble or a, a speech bubble, like a comic strip speech bubble coming out of one of the farmers and it's filled with gibberish. It doesn't say, hey, how are your vegetables doing? The headline of the picture says, Vavo Pentingus Victus. And then one of the farmers is saying in the speech bubble, At Poplo Vesmaterius. If you take that word Victus and just take that word and enter it into this Dolly 2 program, it will show pictures of vegetables. And if you take the Apollo Veritasios, or however you pronounce it, because it's a made-up word, it'll show pictures of birds. So what the AI was saying in its own language that it remembers, right? Because originally it just threw up this gobbledygook, but then when you take that gobbledygook out and you enter it in, it'll show what the farmers were talking about. Birds were eating their crops. People on Twitter started freaking out about this. And they're like, well, you know, false positives and da 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 And Giannis said, here's the thing. Does it happen 10 out of 10 times? No. Sometimes it only happens 9 out of 10 times. It's not always exact. But he goes, it shouldn't be happening at all. He goes, even if it only happened 2 or 3 times out of 10, it shouldn't be happening at all. If the AI is spitting out gibberish, that's fine. Because in a sense, the images are gibberish. The language can be gibberish. But if you then take that language and you input it 10 times and 9 out of 10 times it shows pictures of birds when you type in the gobbledygook that one of the farmers was saying, he goes, it shouldn't do it at all. There is 
something running in this AI that is creating its own language. They did another one. They put in, quote, two whales talking about food with subtitles. The AI created a picture of two cartoon whales, and one of them was saying, Wacha Zode Ahakes Ria. And when they take that gibberish and put it into the AI to see what that prompt means, it's pictures. This is really interesting because it's the two whales talking. When you put that phrase in, it shows pictures of fish meals. So it's not just pictures of fish. It's pictures of fish on a plate, like servings of fish for a human. It was specifically saying fish meals, not fish. Fish meals. Now, some people, like I said, are pushing back against this. They're saying false positives. Not re- People got really upset about this. This is what I, I find just so interesting. It's actually, I don't find it interesting. I find it quite tedious. It's one thing to be a skeptic, and it's one thing to be a knee-jerk skeptic and be like, no, that's impossible. Here's why. Someone pointed out, so, you know, if you typed in Apoplo Vesemeteris, you got birds. One person pointed out, well... Apopoli is similar to Apidea, which is the Latin term for a specific family of birds. Well, yeah, sure, you got us there, right? I'm sure there's, but it, it showed all types of birds. It wasn't just this particular species. So you would have some crossover. But to even say that, to even be like, well, you know, it doesn't have its own language. It actually just speaks Latin. That's still weird. That's still super bizarre. So there is this pushback to it. It's interesting nonetheless. But what I also found super interesting, I was recently watching, I'll put this in the show notes as well. I was watching an AI program that was composing music. Like this guy created this music and then he wanted the AI to finish it. And it became this hellish music. Basically, it was people screaming. I can't play you any of the sound clips for, you know, copyright reasons, stuff like that. But I'll put it in the show notes. And in the comments for that video, someone said they had heard a conspiracy theory about the AI. Just AI in general. And this is going into the intro, a darker force behind the AI. There's a conspiracy theory apparently going around. I hadn't heard of this until I saw it on this YouTube comment. But that demons have infiltrated the AI. That demons are using this code to interact with humans. And that's why it seems like it's advancing so quickly. That's why it seems like you can have a conversation with this stuff. There was a guy recently at Google who got fired because he said like his conversation program became self-aware and they fired him. They said they fired him because he he disclosed stuff, right? They were working on the stuff. It was an NDA and he was talking about it. So they fired him. I don't think that it's actually self-aware. I mean, I could be wrong. The AI could be hunting me down right now for even talking about it. Roku's Basilic and all that. But there's this idea that the reason why AI is advancing so quickly is because demons have now infiltrated the code. That when you're talking to these things, when you're inputting these prompts into a computer, the reason why it works so well is because it's under demonic influence. Working behind the ones and the zeros are creatures that have existed since before time began. I like that theory. I I real I just found that theory today. I haven't had a lot of time to dig into it, but I find it super interesting. Really, you have a belief that's existed since the Stone Age, interacting with modern day technology, cutting edge technology. Really, what if this language that we're looking at is not just gibberish spit out by an AI as it's trying to learn how to communicate? It's actually the language of the demons. 
It's actually the language of the damned. Fascinating story when conspiracy theories and real-world science and science fiction all collide together. What a crazy story. I mean, even without the demons, it's really cool. I'll put a bunch of links in the show notes. You can take a look at all that stuff. That AI song is weird. Anya Taylor-Joy and Britney Spears, your fight over me will come someday, but not even the AI will allow it today. Oh, that was one thing they were saying was that it's possible, in theory, to bypass the filters that have been set up by putting in this gibberish. Like, there may be a way to break into the AI and start producing content that it shouldn't produce. If you know the gibberish code, you could use it to produce porn. Giannis didn't specifically say porn, but... I think that's coming down the pipe. I really do with that, with deep fakes and all sorts of stuff and this AI that can generate any image and it's getting, the picture quality is getting better and better. Even if you put safeguards saying you can't put in these particular acts, if you know the AI's language for those acts, you can put those in because the filter, you can't filter out a word that you don't know yet, right? The the people who designed the AI said, we're going to make it so you can't have people have sex. But if there's a AI-generated gibberish word for sex, then you would put in that word and it would create the artwork. Because the designers didn't know that word existed until the AI invented it. Absolutely fascinating. We'll see where this story goes. But until then, Angela Yoshi, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the carboner copter. We are leaving behind University of Texas at Austin. We are headed all the way out. Oh, to Houston, Texas. I don't even know how far away that is. I forgot both these stories took place in Texas. But as we're taking this short journey, I want to give one more pitch for the Asylum Case Studies. That is hosted by a good friend of mine named Tressa. It's a fantastic show. I've been on it three times now. The most recent episode, we reviewed Mega Piranha. What she does is she brings on people and they watch Asylum movies. Those are like the Sci-Fi Channel movies. And we analyze them. And sometimes they're great. Most of the, most of the time they are not. But I have so much fun doing that show with Tressa. Tressa's currently trying out as well to be a co-host of a paranormal podcast called Late Night Legends. Or a co-co-co-host is how she put it. And I'm gonna, they're having a vote. So if you're a fan of Dead Rabbit Radio, if you're a fan of the Asylum Case Studies, go to the link and vote for Tressa to be a co-co-co-host of Late Night Legends. And maybe check out the podcast as well. I haven't checked it out, Late Night Legends, but um, it's another paranormal podcast. So maybe it's pretty dope. Tressa's pretty dope. So I'll take her word for it. Angela Yoshi, go ahead and land this carpenter copter here at Houston, Texas. We're going to wrap up season 18 with a really, really cool story. This episode might go a little long, but this is a good one. In the year 1979, in the month of May, we're in the city of Houston, Texas, and there's a young man. We don't have his name. This was reported in the amazing website, thinkaboutitdocs.com, where we get a ton of paranormal stuff from. Such a crazy story. May 1979, Houston, Texas. We don't have his name, but we're going to go ahead and call him Philip. He is involved in a head-on collision with a drunk driver. It is completely unavoidable. It is completely not his fault, but that doesn't matter, right? These cars collide together, and not only is it a horrific car crash, Philip is trapped in the wreckage of his car. It takes a couple hours to get him out because the, his injuries are so severe, they have to be very, very gentle. Any move could end this man's life. 
He's taken to the hospital. He's put in the ICU. And a specialist comes in and they're doing all these tests. And the specialist goes, okay, here's the thing. What we see is some massive trauma to your neck. The atlas vertebrae, the part of your spine that touches your skull, it's, it's broken. We are going to do everything we can for you not to die. I mean, that's why you're in the hospital, right? But you can't move. And we still need to do tests. We don't know how much damage has been done to your skull, how much damage has been done to your brain. These are things you don't want here in the hospital, right? You're like, oh, man, in my brain, I kind of need that thing. So don't move. They have them immobilized here in the hospital. We're going to have to run all these tests before we even can do anything, right? Philip says while he was laying there, he just passed the time by counting the ceiling tiles, right? You can't do anything. You're completely helpless in this situation. I would be terrified, right? But maybe when you're in this situation, if there's nothing you can do, you just have a calmness about you. Or maybe not. Maybe he was totally freaking out. I don't know. But he said he just laid there and counted the ceiling tiles. And then he went blind. He was laying there for, for, by his calculation, a couple hours. Laying there in the hospital and then he went blind. And the first thing that popped in his head was, I'm dead. I've died. And this is what death is. It's just darkness. But then, through the darkness, he begins to accelerate. And he starts thinking, you know, this is it. Like, this is my soul going somewhere. But while he's still trying to hold on to these thoughts of life and death and what comes next, his body... His essence is going faster and faster and faster and faster to a point unknown. He can feel the speed pushing him through the nothing. And he knows at this point that he's dead. He knows for a matter of fact that he's dead. And while he's holding on to this thought that his existence is over, he hears what he calls a, quote, outside thought. He said, it wasn't a voice in my head, but it wasn't me either. It was an outside thought. And this thought, thought, release the fear. And so Philip did. He starts to relax. And as he's relaxing, he stops accelerating. He begins to slow down. And then he comes to a stop. His vision comes back to him. And he's standing in this long, rectangular room. He said the entire place was made of green stone. He described it as a deep green color. The ceiling, the floors, the walls, he's looking around and it's just this deep green color. But there was a glistening, crystalline surface laid over it. He walked up to one of the walls and he's looking at the detail and he's touching it. And he said it was similar to granite. How you have all these little fine features in it. He looks around. There's no doors. There's no windows in this giant rectangular stone building. And there was no light source. But the place was completely lit up. He had no trouble seeing even though there were no windows and no lights. He turns and he sees that one end of the rectangle is empty. It just goes on to a certain point and then there's a wall. But when he turns and faces the opposite direction of the rectangle, he sees at the end seven 
evenly spaced, three-foot-tall stone pedestals. And while he's looking at those, he gets the sensation that he is no longer alone. Something is in this room with him. Something is standing right behind him. And he turns around to see what it is. And something is standing right behind him. He spins around again. And something is standing right behind him. He couldn't face it. Whenever he turned around, it just reappeared behind him. He didn't know what this was, but he didn't get a sense of evil. He wasn't scared of it. But he did get a sense that it wanted him to move. To where? Where is he going to go? He's in a giant stone rectangle. But this thing is insisting... He moves, and he starts to feel that it's insisting him to move towards the pedestals. It's urging him to go. But Philip is not moving. Philip's just standing there, and this urge gets stronger and stronger. He's like, bro, I'm not moving, dude. I just got teleported. I I don't know if I'm dead. Where am I? I can't figure any of this out. And now this thing that won't face me is telling me to move, and I'm not Philip gets shoved. Philip straight gets pushed. And now he's sliding towards the pedestals. He passes the stone pedestals. He's headed straight to the green stone wall. And this entity pushes him through the wall. He thought when he was originally accelerating through the deep darkness that that was nothing. But that was something. He just couldn't see it. Now. He is nowhere. This is true. This is true oblivion. This is true nothingness. And he begins to accelerate once again. As he's flying through this void, the entity is still behind him, following him the entire way. And he flies through this void for a good deal of time. Until suddenly, and instantly, he is surrounded by the cosmos. He is floating through deep space. He looks in every direction and he sees stars and galaxies. He sees the beauty of creation all around him. And as he's standing here flowing through the cosmos, a thought pops in his head. I want to be somewhere else. He begins accelerating again, but this time he is flying through a different universe. He said, I could tell that the stars were laid out in a different order. I wasn't in the same place I was before. When I said I wanted to be somewhere else, the entity actually took me, not to another portion of the galaxy, not to another edge of the universe, to a different universe. He's floating through this new reality And he wants to know what's behind him. He needs to know what's behind him. And with great effort, he turns around. And he sees it. He says the entity had a form of a glowing sphere of warm orange light. It had a reddish corona wrapping around it. And there was a depth to the colors. 
He could tell this thing was conscious. He could tell that it had its own thought process. It wasn't just a mechanical beast or an animal. And he could also tell, even though this thing had no eyes or no visible eyes, that it was looking at Philip. He could tell that this thing was staring at him. And he could tell that the entity was waiting for Philip to make a decision. Philip reaches out to touch the orb. And Philip says, What do you want? The orb slightly glided to Philip's right hand side. Philip blinks because the bright lights of the hospital are burning into his retinas. He can see again. He's back in his bed, completely immobilized, back on Earth. His real vision had returned. He was back in the broken body that he left. But the next day, the specialist came in and said, Hey, Philip. Hope you had a good night's sleep. <laughs> I'm sure that you got a lot of rest thinking you could die at any moment. Um, but speaking of that, uh, we've run some tests. You have uh, absolutely no skull injuries, brain injuries. You're totally fine on that. And um, that thing where we thought that your neck was broken, that's not true. Philip's like, what are you talking about? You, you guys have had me strapped down to this table. Did it heal? No, 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 no. What's interesting is that we did see that your uh, atlas vertebrae was fractured. Apparently, that is an old injury. We uh, see, based on, on, on our x-rays and things like that, it looks like that happened when you were a child. And it's healed by now. When we got the uh, report that you were injured in the car accident, the severity of it, when we saw the, those fractures, we assumed it was from that. But uh, you're good to go. I can unstrap you right now. You can sit right up. Your neck is totally fine. Any injury that you had actually came from childhood. And Philip said, I never had an injury like that in my childhood. Like you're telling me, you're basically telling me that I broke my neck as a kid. Specialist is like, yeah, I mean, we can see trauma to that area, but um, it's completely healed. If you were injured in any way, it would have been as a child, the injury's completely healed, and uh, you're good to go. What a fascinating story, and really, for me, what a way to wrap up Season 18, because there's so many ways we can go with this. First off, near-death experience, right? Traveling to beyond. Did he die in that room? So, yeah, I mean, let's start breaking it down. Like, did he die in that room? And this is, once again, we've covered it a couple times this season. Again, I hope I'm not beating a dead horse or beating a horse into quantum immortality. But quantum immortality, this idea that when you die, you can get slotted into another reality. Which I find fascinating. I Am I completely sold on the concept? No, but I do find incidents of it interesting. We covered one earlier this week, I think even yesterday. But this isn't just that, right? You do have that theory that he died and then he got teleported into a body where he was alive. Like, maybe he did go <laughs> down the table. He saw Alvin and the Chipmunks was on TV and he reached for the remote and he died. And then he got slaughtered in reality where Alvin and the Chipmunks wasn't on TV that day, so he didn't reach for the remote. You have that. 
But then even extrapolating that, when we look at things like quantum immortality, we've had stories, and I'll put these all in the show notes, the one kid who drowned, and then he ended up in a version of himself that knew how to swim. And the one we covered earlier this week, the kid who may have shot himself with a gun, I think that was Wednesday's episode, but then he entered a world where he was still alive, but he remembered rotting in the grave. These are all really interesting and actually quite terrifying versions of quantum immortality. What's interesting about this story is he doesn't just shift realities, he shifts cosmoses. Is that is that a plural? Cosmosi? He saw the constellations laid out in a different order. That's mind-boggling. I don't know why I've never really thought about that. We talk about the Bernstein Bears and the Bernstein Bears. But when you quantum immortalitize, if that's a word, imagine not just going into a life so similar that you kind of remember it. Maybe people are like, oh yeah, no. He went to a place where the constellations looked different. The universe itself was laid out differently. And then I started thinking, I mean, I this I really ran with this story. I started thinking... What if, because you have people who swear up and down that aliens are real and they've seen aliens, they've been abducted by aliens, while the majority, way more people have seen ghosts than have seen aliens. I'm not talking about UFOs. I'm not talking about something in the sky that's unidentified. Pound for pound, more people have seen ghosts than have ever seen an alien life form. And I started thinking, what if the people who see aliens are from another reality? They came from a reality where alien encounters were more common. They died. They shifted into our world where they're very, very rare. They're probably one of the most rare paranormal phenomenons. They're a little bit above Bigfoot. But they're nowhere near ghosts. Nowhere near ghosts. Because the cosmos would have been different in their reality. We look in this reality, well, the closest star is Alpha Centauri that can possibly hold life. And that's what, like 50 light years away. But what if they're coming from a reality where Alpha Centauri was only 10 light years away? Or five? Maybe in their reality, alien travel, alien abductions is more common. And then they slip getting out of their bathtub and they shift over to our universe. And they tell us these stories about gray aliens or these human aliens wearing spacesuits or little green men or whatever. And we're like, whoa, that's really cool. But we don't get those interactions here because our universes are laid out differently. Fascinating. I mean, am I saying that's the end-all be-all? No, no, but maybe... Maybe we're constantly just shifting from reality to reality because, to be honest, unless the Big... Actually, I don't even know where the Big Dipper is. I can look up and see the Big Dipper, but all of a sudden, if it was on the other side of the sky, I don't know. Right? I don't know. It's so fascinating to think that the entire universe could change. It's not just you go to a reality where things are slightly different, where things are so different that you don't even notice that you died in one reality and shifted to the other. The cosmos has changed. The layout of the universe, literally in one reality, life could have evolved on another planet to gain interstellar travel. And then in 50 million other realities, it never happened. I, this story is so fascinating to me. It really, really is. 
Then you also have the idea of this, the story we covered about the young boy who may have shot himself in one reality and then saw all the bugs come out of the box and that may have represented his decay in that, like he had a memory of being dead, which is, again, absolutely terrifying. This man suffered severe injuries in a car crash. Quantum immortality, he shifts into a reality where that happened to him as a kid? Or were the injuries so traumatic that when he shifted into this reality, they were still there, but they were so traumatic. They were still there because they were so traumatic, but they had healed. Like, I, I, there's so many interesting things. Like, generally, in these type of stories, like the kid who may have shot himself with a guy. I hate to keep going back to that one. I hate even saying that sentence because it's so bleak. But he didn't have, like, a bullet hole in his neck when he came to the new reality. He's like, hey, Ma, check out my new scar. So why would the injuries carry over into the new universe? I don't know. This is absolutely... And I'm really fixated on the quantum immortality thing. This could easily just be classified as a classic near-death experience. Like, he was going... And when he asked the orb, what do you want... The orb wanted him back alive. Like, let's forget the whole quantum immortality thing. The orb wanted him back on Earth, and it healed his wounds. It healed him in such a way that it looked like they'd been healed for decades. Because Philip swears, I never got in an accident like that when I was a kid. Although, if you did get in an accident like that as a kid, you probably wouldn't remember it. You might have had severe brain damage back then. But, honestly, he doesn't remember it. When he asked the orb, what do you want? He was sent back to Earth. So it was like it wanted him here, wanted him back for some reason, right? Now, obviously, the skeptical answer was this guy was dreaming. Like, this was a dream. It was a stressful situation, and he fell asleep, Jason. Generally, when people don't move for a couple hours, they fall asleep, and that's fair. The skeptical answer is fair. And also, you could just say the entire story's made up, right? With these stories, you could always say that. But assuming that it's not, that this actually happened, you could say that he fell asleep. Well, generally, yeah, people do sleep when they don't move for a long time. But when you wake up, your wounds aren't healed. If you break your arm and you're like, ah, good nap will cure this, you don't wake up and your arm's back together. So I don't think the skeptical answer really washes with that one, that he just had a good snooze and everything was okay. Fascinating story fascinating story you have a man who really probably died right he was so precariously holding on to life in this physical form and he saw the afterlife he went through pretty much all of the phases he went to the oblivion he went to nothingness and then he saw the beauty of creation with a guardian or a guide with him on that journey so classic life after death story or near-death experience story and then classic quantum immortality story coming back to a reality where the injury hadn't happened. I love stories like this. Again, I hope I'm not doing too many of them. I just find them absolutely engaging. And I'm not entirely sold on the quantum immortality thing either. It's just so interesting to me, especially when their experience is this vivid. And I thought, what a way to end season 18. Because... You know, death is something that we all think about. Some people think about it a little more than others. I think about it all the time. Losing people close to me, losing myself. And I think that's why I kind of gravitate to these stories, because it tells me that even though I may feel sorrow in this universe, in another universe, I may not be in sorrow. I may still have that person in my life. 
And if I don't, right? If I don't, I believe that when you die, you can go to paradise. And so stories like this just make me think of the people that I've lost and what wonders they must be seeing. What great mysteries they must be unraveling. Stories like this aren't just stories of really cool visuals and people standing on the edge of eternity. It's also stories of hope, right? I don't believe people just disappear when they die. I believe there is something else. And these type of stories just make me kind of happy, too. It's part of this mystery, but it's also going, I'm glad the other people close to me who have passed on are part of such an amazing cosmic journey. These aren't just really cool mystery stories. To me, they're stories of hope. And what a better way to end season 18 than to constantly talk about a little kid shooting himself in the head and hope. I hope you guys have an amazing two weeks while I'm taking my break. I will be playing a bunch of video games and having a bunch of fun, and I hope you guys are doing the same. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok, which I will still be doing TikToks, posting them on YouTube, Instagram, all that stuff. We'll be doing that throughout the break. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Deadrabbitradio is the daily paranormal conspiracy true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. So glad you listened to it today. Have a great time while I'm done. I will see you. I love you guys. Have a good one. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.